Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, the easy way to sell billboards online, out of home in your hands. Today's guest is Kim Frank, president of Geopath, the nonprofit agency which provides measurement, impressions, and audience data to out-of-home advertising companies advertisers and agencies. Kim has been president of Geopass since 2015. Prior to joining Geopass, she was a senior executive at several media research firms. Kim is a tireless advocate for the out-home industry via her posts on the Geopath blog and on social media. She's coming to us from Times Square, Geopass in the middle of all of the fascinating digital signage. So if you hear background noise, that's why and Kim is also an improv comic. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks so much, Dave. Super excited to be here. Kim, you've got an interesting background in that you didn't grow up in the out-of-home industry, and you kind of came to the industry from a number of different sectors. How has that helped? Yeah, it's been kind of an exciting career. I have always been focused in media research over the last couple of decades. You know, I grew up a bit of a math geek, and so it was a really great fit for me. But throughout my research career, I've worn quite a number of hats. I worked in TV on the hmm. publisher side. I did cross-channel research at a large global agency. I worked at a data vendor startup. Believe it or not, I even worked at a big Wall Street consulting firm oh my. for a time. Oh um, so I have been able to really see the media landscape across a number of platforms and from all different angles. Uh, working at Geopath has been my first venture into the out-of-home industry. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been really exciting because I'm able to you know, bring an understanding of what buyers are looking for. I have an understanding of what sellers need, to, you know, like what tools sellers need to have in their hands in order to really succeed. I have a view of what works in other channels and doesn't work in other channels. Kim, can we expand on that? You've said before that we in the out-of-home industry, we're sometimes a little insular. That's my take. But we need to pay attention to what happens in other media channels in order to learn from the mistakes others make. Can you expand on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, a lot of the first phone calls that I made when I took on this role was to the heads of research at other media channels, you know, leaders in the other media channel space, and said, what can we learn from the mistakes made in your channel? I mean, if you take what's happening in online, for example, you know, publishers were providing their own metrics, there wasn't any transparency. This really opened the door for issues with bots and frauds, and even, you know, publishers overstating their own deliveries. You know, I think it's also really challenging, not even just in the online space, but a number of different media channels for buyers to sync up buys across different publishers. And I think now, you know, the pendulum swinging in online and, and there's a significant amount of distrust in the channel because of what's happening. I, I recall the case, was it The Guardian? There was one out of home buyer that found that 70 percent of its online buy was being taken by the middlemen and the, the, the middle players in the system, only 30% of the money was actually getting to an ad buy. For sure. And, you know, it, it causes a lot of distrust. Yes. You know, advertisers are really examining what they're investing their money in now. I think we've heard people like Mark Pritchard talk about, you know, what was I really getting out of a banner ad? Mm-hmm. Was anybody mm-hmm. feeling good about my brand after a pop-up appeared on a website? Or should we really start focusing again 
on building brand equity through our channels. And I, I think that's one of the things that's so exciting about the out-of-home industry space for me is that we really can do that and we're really great at it. Mm-hmm. You know, when out-of-home is done well and done with passion and purpose, it's one of the most beautiful things. Mm-hmm can really bring a smile to your face. Kim, you've got some experience on the TV, on the broadcasting side of things. What can we learn from the broadcasting experience? Yeah, lots of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think broadcast, and I was working in the channel at the time when digital really started to become a real challenge for broadcast. There was a lot of, I think, sticking the head in the sand going on Hmm. in the channel and published studies that said, and I still see these now, published studies that say that, no, TV is doing fine. TV is doing great. Um, And you'll see this a lot now where there's studies that say things like, you know, cord cutting isn't really an issue or a problem. And I don't think that hiding from a problem that's really facing the industry did it any good. Right. They certainly ran off and try, everybody tried to make their own apps at the time. You know, if you wanted to watch content, you could download the ABC app or the NBC app or the Fox app. And then meanwhile, Netflix popped up and all of these big networks gave Netflix content. You know, my mm-hmm. understanding is that was done in a vacuum without any research behind it. They were just very eager to be the first wow. to be on the platform. And essentially, they funded their biggest competitor today. You know, it, it mm-hmm. was uh, just making big decisions without doing the research ahead mm-hmm. of times, I think, was a big challenge for them. Kim, you've been at Geopath for three years since 2015. Uh, the organization has changed significantly since you've been in charge. Can you explain some of the changes? Yeah. And believe it or not, Dave, it's been almost four years. It's remarkable. It'll be four years at the conference. <laughs> it, it's funny because it went by so quickly. Mm-hmm. I still consider myself someone who's new to the industry, but four years, really, you're not new anymore. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Yeah, the organization has changed in so many ways. I mean, obviously, we changed the name, but I think as part of that name change and that brand refresh, we really changed the entire feel of the organization. I think prior to me coming on board, the people here were really data. Their focus was very much on data, and data are great, and data are important, but what's more important than data are our members. Mm-hmm. So we've really f- increased our focus on providing value to each of our members, regardless of their size. And we've put a larger emphasis on providing consultative client service. Part of that was really upping the game on the way that we communicate out, having a social presence, developing a webinar series, a blog where we can you know, showcase the work that our members are doing. We have provided a research library to our members because something that I d- identified early on when I came here is that ratings are great and ratings are important, but sometimes what our sellers need and our buyers need are other data to help them. Mm-hmm. And we have access to those data here. So just helping people in their day to day, you know, get that meeting or get that deal has been a, a big focus for us. I can think of some posts you've done. For instance, someone wrote about uh, Major League Soccer, was it? And you did a responding post saying, well, let let me just tell you what the data says about out of home, for instance, and Major League Soccer. Or someone says that uh, out of home is not an effective way to sell. For instance, if you're a 
LASIK or an eye doctor and you're able to say, well, let's say what here, well, let's show you what the data says about selling in this sector. Right. There's still a lot of legacy thinking out there going on about the channel that uh, I really think, Dave, are just kind of statements that are being made without a lot of data behind them mm-hmm. or any data behind them at all. But now we have the data as a challenge, as, as a channel to prove our value, our efficacy, our, our ability to target audiences. Mm-hmm. We've really and this is a geopath thing, sure, but it goes so far beyond geopath. We've all upped our game mm-hmm. when it comes to being considered a cutting edge, technologically savvy. And we have to all continue to push that message mm-hmm. whenever we can. Kim, you're almost done with a major redesign of the Insight Suites, the uh, audience and measurement and data systems of geopath. Can you just do a bring down on what's new there? Yeah, sure. So the data have been out and have been being vetted by our members for quite some time. We just released a new, faster version of our API for any of our members who are ingesting the data directly into their own systems and platforms. And now we're really in the final stages of having our members just look at all the impressions for their inventory, flag anything that doesn't feel right or look right to them so that we can, you know, do QA on them, make sure everything's right. We improved our methodology beyond the measurement. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, like the way that we audit inventory is significantly more precise now. So there may be secondary or tertiary reads that we weren't giving credit before. So a lot of that has changed on the back end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our members have been really great in helping us in looking at the data in saying, hey, can you flag this? This doesn't look right. And so now we're kind of in the final stages. So it Mm -hmm. won't be terribly long before we're asking our members to officially vote, migrating to the new data. So super excited about that. Yeah. What are some of the features that the new system is going to have that out-of-home companies may not be aware of? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I think when we first headed down this path, there was this feeling that the tool was more focused on national buying and planning than it was on local. And I think now that it's in front of everyone, everyone realizes that the opposite is true. It's you can do great national planning that you could never do in our system before, but the local data are awesome. Someone told me, one of my members told me that they still have this old Arbitron study that they bought like decades ago that they reference about where cars were coming from that were passing each of their pieces of inventory. But now because we have the mobile data, we know what neighborhoods audiences are originating from. So you can get, you know, a unique origin study for every piece of inventory you own. And in so many cases, we see that the audience is obviously not Mm -hmm. coming from the zip code in which the inventory is sitting. If I own a digital sign, for instance, in Sherman, Texas, I can say to an advertiser in Denison, Texas, which is just down the road, did you know that two-thirds of the people going by my billboard end up in your neighborhood? Yeah, or or live somewhere else outside of the market. And it could even be if you have inventory by an airport Mm -hmm. or on an interstate, they may be coming not even just from another zip code, but from another DMA completely. Wow. And we're able to see that. And I think that's really super valuable for us as a selling tool. Wow. Something else that I think I'm really advocating for people to use these data. We now have cross-channel media consumption as a target in our platform. 
you know, we talk a lot about, well, we can target people who are in the market for a new car. We can target people who are planning to go to college next year, but we can also target people who aren't watching television. Hmm. So if you have an advertiser who is maybe spending a lot of money in television, you can look across your inventory and say, well, where are the people who aren't watching television, who aren't using social networks or who, you know, maybe that, you know, their digital habits are different. They're low internet users or they're low mobile users so that we can start to encourage advertisers to look holistically across their media plan and say, am I getting all of the audience? Or if I'm only using one channel, who am I missing and where can I reach them? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think that's hugely powerful, powerful for us. And the other thing that's great about that is you can look at it that way, right? So Mm -hmm. let's say you have a big restaurant in town and they buy a lot of television You can identify where the audiences are that don't watch television. And you can also identify where the audiences are that are likely to eat at a restaurant, you know, who are frequent restaurant eaters, and then find the overlap. So you can say, well, not only are you amplifying your TV by by reaching people who aren't watching television, but we can even target people who are likely to eat in your restaurant. Wow. Let's stop here for a word from our sponsor. Adomni increases your billboard revenue by selling unsold ad space at top dollar. Whether you have Watchfire, Formitco, or Dactronics billboards, Adomni easily integrates. Get started selling in as little as one business day on the fastest-growing out-of-home network of over 60,000 digital screens. Visit adomni.com or call 844-ADOMNI to speak with an Adomni billboard specialist. Mention this Billboard Insider podcast to receive one free year of Adomni's white-labeled booking engine on your website. My company, in addition to publishing Billboard Insider, we are a small at-home operator with about 55 billboard faces. Could you make the case, why does a small, independent, out-of-home advertising company like me need Geopath? What does Geopath do for me? Sure. So we are a member organization. So, you know, there's always a value of being a part of a trade association, whether it's the OAAA or Geopath, so that you have a seat at the table with the rest of the industry. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. We have buyers on our board, so there's certainly opportunities to network. I think what brings a lot of smaller operators to our organization is We've, you know, lowered our dues for operators. We've created new tiers for mm-hmm. smaller businesses, but also because they're getting turned away a lot from agencies specifically mm-hmm. because they're not measured or they're using circulation counts. So we do provide that. In assessing the landscape, you know, I had said earlier that we provide a lot of consultative work on behalf of our members. And I think that's also been a huge new value for some of our smaller operators is feeling like, well, I can't afford a research person on my team. You know, there's maybe only two of us and a dog sitting in our office <laughs> and, and, and we're yeah. all doing yeah. sales and changing the light bulbs. But to be able to reach out to a team of researchers who you can consider part of your own team and say to them, hey, I got someone in town who won't even take a meeting with me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any information that can help me? Mm-hmm. And having someone here actually help curate content so that you can get that meeting, so that you have something to send to that client that maybe perks their ears up or gets them to take a phone call. And we've had a lot of members who have used that service to great results. I could tell you that from a practical point of view, as a small operator, trying to get any national business without impressions data is next to impossible. They just don't want to deal with it. Impressions is the currency that they want when they're doing buys. For sure. And I also think a lot of them are 
quite frankly, using either our software or our, our data through another piece of software. And if you're not then geopath measured, you're not even in the system. Oh, okay. Am I right that more than half your members have fewer than 50 faces right now? That is true. We certainly skew on the smaller side of operators. That's a little known fact, Kim. <laughs> it's been a huge area of growth yeah. for us. Yeah. You know, certainly there's been a lot of interest in what we've been doing from a measurement perspective. There's been a lot of buzz yes. about the organization. Yes. We're really excited about it because nothing would make me happier than to have something we did here as an organization change, you know, somebody's revenue by the end of the year. Yes. And have them next year say, you know, every penny that I paid to Geopath, I made back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk sure. about the Media Rating Council. The Media Rating Council is looking at developing an independent set of out-of-home measurement standards. Can it, what, what's your take on what they're trying to do? Yeah. So George Ivey and the MRC, they've been really fabulous partners to us here at Geopath. And, you know, quite frankly, they've been a really valuable resource to me and all the organizations that I've worked at throughout my research career. Big industry presence, really fabulous resource that we have to make sure that what people are saying they're doing is actually what they're doing. Dylan Maben, who's my head of product, and I were involved in the work to create digital out-of-home standards with mm -hmm. the MRC last mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. We're continuing our active involvement and contributions as the organization works to develop standards now for the rest of the out-of-home formats. I think what they're doing is really important. You know, more and more companies are entering the out-of-home ecosystem with measurement and data and research solutions, whether it's, you know, attribution or sensor companies or data targeting. And, you know, as there are more and more companies and the data landscape gets more complex, it's really important that everybody's following the same set of rules that we're all speaking the same language. Yes. I think, you know, the out-of-home industry long before my time made what I think is a really amazing choice to measure likelihood to see impressions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the geopath impressions are not we just drove by the sign and we're being counted. You have to actually have a probability to look at a sign. And that's important because if you have a poster and a bulletin on the same stretch of roadway, they don't have the same impressions. Correct. But if you're just counting circulation, everybody has the same numbers on that road. Okay. So I think it's really important that the MRC is looking at what the out-of-home industry has curated and then creating rules and standards around the decisions the industry has made and making sure that we're all playing by the same rules. Now, once they come up with a set of standards, am I right that an agency or an entity can choose to be audited by them for compliance with the standards? And what's your sense? To, how will Geopath approach that decision? Certainly. So you can, you know, you can choose to follow the standards mm -hmm. and not be MRC accredited. That's certainly an option. You know, getting MRC accreditation is a huge investment not mm -hmm. just financially, depending upon the complexity of the audit, but also in terms of time. It's certainly a resource-heavy thing that goes on. You, you basically have an outside CPA firm that comes in for a pre-audit and assesses everything you have, all of your documentation, identifies all the holes and gaps that you're going to need to fill before you go through the total audit. It's time-consuming. It's a long process, but it's really super valuable. So we have spoke, we've had initial conversations with George about what it would look like and what the 
right timing would be for a pre-audit. Mm-hmm. And then you don't really go into the pre-audit phase without an intention to go through the full audit. So I guess, you know, once we're at that point, I will go to my board of directors and say, this mm-hmm. is my recommendation that we pursue accreditation. Mm-hmm. This is what we think it will cost both financially and from a resource timing standpoint. Let's have a vote and let's decide if we would like to have the new methodology accredited. So we watch this space for further developments. But in any case, it sounds like no matter what happens, there'll be a set of standards that can help everybody to have a common currency. For sure. Yeah. And and that can only benefit the industry. It provides transparency. And it helps people who are coming in from outside who may have really interesting technology and data solutions to understand, well, okay, here's my roadmap. Yes. I think the timing's great because, you know, as we are in the final stages of our measurement system, we're able to look to the standards and make sure that we're in alignment with what's being published now before, you know, we dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, it's a great collaborative process. I think there are 30 different representatives from different parts of the ecosystem that participate in the MRC process on the guidelines. And really, kudos to the patience of uh, Anthony Torrieri for managing that process with so many chefs. Wow. Yeah, Uh, but it's exciting. I love that they're paying attention to out of home, that we have a seat at the table at the MRC. It's really important. That's great. Well, let's finish. Let's finish up with a segment of overrated or underrated. I'll say a phrase and you say if it's overrated or underrated and why. You know, there's no way I'm only going to be able to say one word, right? <laughs> no, you can. You, I, I, I want you to expand on, okay. on each of these. Autonomous cars. Autonomous cars. I'm going to go with overrated. Why? Not because they're not a thing. However, I think that the entire landscape of tra- transportation is changing And focusing on autonomous cars is only looking at a small portion of what's happening in transportation. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a lot of analysis on Gen Zs. So Gen Zs are this coming out of college now, the oldest among Mm -hmm. them. And they are relying more heavily on things like public transportation and relying more heavily on things like rideshare programs. So really the way people are moving about the marketplace in general is changing. So I think it's important that, yes, there are there are investments being made in autonomous cars. There's investments in being made in car technology in general. Like my husband gets Dunkin' Donuts ads on his dashboard oh my. right now. Oh my. We just need to keep an eye on all of that landscape, all of the changes that are happening there, because I think there's opportunities for out of home yeah. in that space. Hyper targeting. Hyper targeting is for out of home is overrated, which sounds really weird coming from somebody who's working on audience targeting and out of home, probably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a huge soapbox soapbox issue about hyper-targeting because I think at some point, there was always a a funnel, a purchase funnel when I was studying advertising, where there was a whole top of the funnel about driving awareness and building brand relationships with consumers. And hyper-targeting and online came along and everybody lost focus on that. And now they just want to geofence their competitors' parking lots. That I don't think that's a really good advertising strategy. I think being able to target is important, but hyper-targeting for out-of-home, I think, is missing the beauty that out-of-home can bring to the table, especially in the larger formats where we're not you know, a one-to-one channel. The death of ad agencies. Overrated. 
I How? would say that they are not dying. They are just evolving like the rest of the advertising ecosystem. We're certainly in a time of great change on the agency side. But we saw in other channels that agencies were wanted to advertisers wanted to bring the agency buying, media buying in-house. So they did that in a lot of ways. And now we see the pendulum swinging back and they're saying, okay, this was a lot for us to manage in-house. And now they're, you know, putting out searches for agencies. So there's always a back and forth. There's always a swing and a constant evolution. The use of subway ads by direct-to-consumer companies, startups. Certainly underrated. I just got off the subway and really was looking at all of the ads and reading all of the ads. Kim, am I right that if you raise venture money, it's a condition, it must be a condition of funding that you have to <laughs> blanket, I mean, you have to buy from Jeremy Mail in, in New York. Well, if it worked for Dr. Zitzmore, it yeah. can work for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, there's a lot, everybody takes the subway in New York. Yes, it, yes. it is not, it is not, not elitist. Everybody takes the subway and that yes. includes big decision makers. That includes early adopters. That includes all of the people that a startup would be going after for sure. Yes. Privacy. Well, I don't know how you could say privacy is either overrated or underrated. Mm -hmm. I think it's certainly something that we as an industry need to be squarely focused on that. I mean, look with the recent news right now of them having sensors in the seatbacks on airlines that whether or not they were on or off is really irrelevant because the press got a hold of it and it became our airlines watching you while you're flying, which honestly, I can't think of anything more boring than to watch me while I'm on a plane. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you look at what's happening at Facebook and what a nightmare mm -hmm, mm -hmm. out of home. We need to be better than that. Mm -hmm. We need to be better than that. And we are better than that. Just because you can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Yep. And I think almost all of the voices in the industry are on board with that. So. Smart cities. Smart cities are, I'm going to say overrated, not because I think that they're an overrated thing, but because I think smart cities are just a subset of a mm -hmm. bigger trend. And that trend being the connected everything. I'm not a big fan of the internet of things expression. And I am saying that knowing that one of my dear friends runs the internet of things symposium. Wow. wow. <laughs> so I'll have to give yes. him an apology later, but I like the idea of everything being connected, the connected everything. And I think Smart cities is just a piece of that. And we in out of home are in a really great position to play a huge role in the internet mm -hmm. of everything, given what, what an amazing geographic footprint we already have and an understanding of location and an understanding of the way people are moving. We, we really have, a, I think, a leg up as these opportunities start to arise. So I think the smart city is going to just be one of the first steps on a, a bigger path that out of home is going to play. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for appearing on the podcast, Kim. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Adami, for sponsoring today, our good friends over there in Vegas. Absolutely, and thank you to Lucas Jones for editing and production. This podcast was sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, the easy way to sell billboards online, out of home in your hands. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting billboardinsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is billboardinsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I want to thank listeners. I've been getting some great ideas for interviews off your emails. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back in a couple weeks.